Well, what we are doing today has been done for nearly 2,000 years now. After completing their first missionary journey, according to the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas went back to the church that had sent them out. That was the church of Antioch and gave the church an update about what they had seen and experienced. So I read to you from Acts 14.27. They, being Paul and Barnabas, sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 2,000 years ago, and it continues today, churches sending out people to see and experience what God is doing, and much of that being cross-cultural. I love that phrase. On arriving, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done, and that's our purpose this morning, is to gather the church together and report on all that God is doing through our experience together in Thailand. Now, planning for a trip to Thailand started way back in November last year, so almost a year in the making. Twelve people believed God was calling them to go. Pastor Michael and Jessica Gallipo, Dustin Fickett, Kayla Clinton, Tom Luang Sang, Vanessa Pop, Liz Soul, Stephen Candy Shelk, Jan and Rhonda Meerdick, and me. Now, after hours and hours and many, many meetings, uh, planning, prepping, praying, We were set to go in March, but God had other plans, and we didn't go in March. We flew out September 29th and arrived back this past Monday. And today you're going to hear the report of uh, some of the folk and a few more next week. Uh, This team endured 17,664 flight miles. 17,664 flight miles. That's good for frequent flyer miles. It is. That took about 35 hours. Now, that does not include layovers, of which we had a 24-hour one, and uh, uh, getting to the airport, getting from the airport, getting settled in, all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of miles uh, to travel. Uh, And these guys did just great. You'll hear more about that later. We went to Thailand. Not Taiwan. Not Taiwan. It's Thailand, okay, located in Southeast Asia. And it's an amazing place, uh, populated by 68 million people and a little over 9 million live in the Bangkok area where we spent our time. It's a very sprawling, vast city and uh, a lot of needs there. By constitution, Thailand is Buddhist. Buddhism is a faith of 95% of the population, 4% are Muslim, Less than one-half of 1% are Christians. Less than one-half of 1% are Christians. The remainders are Hindus, Sikhs, and other religions, which you'll see on the streets of Bangkok. But understand, there are fewer Christians percentage-wise in Thailand than there are in Iran. I want you to process that just for a moment. Uh, Percentage-wise, there are less Christians in Thailand than there are in Iran, where Christianity, of course, is outlawed. So there is a great deal of freedom of religion, uh, at least for now. Uh, Many of you are perhaps aware that the king of Thailand, who reigned more than 70 years, uh, passed away uh, this past week, the longest reigning monarch in the world. And um, uh, for you on the team, understand it would have been a much different trip if we would have gone a week later, a very much different trip. 
uh, went to one of the Thai restaurants here in town. Uh, the woman is from Bangkok, and uh, uh, she got all choked up uh, talking about the death of her king here in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. So I uh, understand uh, his death is going to have ramifications for that entire region uh, of the world. Uh, but right now there is uh, religious freedom. Uh, we are open to share the good news of Jesus, and you're going to hear about some of our team doing that in different kinds of ways. But uh, we want to hear from the team, not from me. Uh, I've spent enough time in Thailand. You've probably heard enough Thai stories from me. I want you to hear from some other folks. So uh, Rhonda, Jan, and Candy, why don't you join me here? And let's hear what God has to say through you. Good. Rhonda, you're going to share with us a little bit about travel and what it was like. Uh, try to focus on Rhonda. There's some stuff on the screen. Uh, but Rhonda, a little different driving the streets of uh, Cedar Grove. Cedar Grove, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am a Randa, as most people in Thailand refer to me. And this is Kandi, and this is just Jan. <laughs> On September 29th, we met here at Southside Alliance Church, and we had some lay people and elders pray over us as a team, and we embarked on our 10 day journey to Thailand. It was um, emotional, even just leaving. Where in the world is this coming from? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all made sure, except for Pastor John, that we stopped at Subway on the way and bought sandwiches with extra onions at his request so that we could breathe on one another all the way to Thailand. Yeah, and I sat next to you, too. Yeah. Um, we arrived in Chicago, and we boarded this beautiful plane, and Jan and I sat next to Pastor John the entire trip. Um, we, we slept, we ate, we prayed, we read, we slept, we ate, we prayed. We, alive, we arrived in Hong Kong 16 hours later. We had about an hour layover. We boarded the next plane for our next leg of the journey, two-hour flight into Bangkok. Um, we, we landed. Our luggage took a little bit to get off the plane. This is a little side note. I wasn't going to plan on saying this. Um, I started not feeling well. I was the first one of the team to go down. I kind of went off by myself. Um, Told Jan I wasn't feeling too great. Our luggage was delayed, 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 delayed. I said, I'm really not feeling too good. Now I understand why they tell you to pack a whole box of Ziploc bags. Um, I left a small part of myself throwing up in a Ziploc bag in every trash can in the airport for about the next three hours until we finally arrived at our hotel at 2.30 in the morning. Interesting way to start the journey. I thought, oh my goodness, here we go. But it only lasted about 12 hours. I was fine. Um, throughout our time in, in Bangkok, we took basically three modes of transportation, the SkyTrain, a taxi, or we walked. You walk a lot in Thailand. You walk everywhere. The SkyTrain is used mainly by the middle and upper class people in Thailand. The working class use it every day for school and work. During the busiest times, these are packed so full you can't even turn around in there. Being a tall Westerner, Jan usually had some poor person's head stuck in his armpit. It's a very, very up-close and personal experience. There's one particular experience that stands out in my mind because I got left behind one morning. We were on our way to Nightlight with a suitcase full of goods that we had brought from the States that we were going to leave with Annie. Dustin and Jan were pulling the suitcase, taking turns, going through the, the walkway to get to the SkyTrain. 
Jan put his head down, plowed through, and made sure everyone was going to fit in the train. When you think the train is too full and one more person can't get on, at least 10 more can fit. I didn't make it. Jan was carrying my backpack. My cell phone and my passport were in the backpack. And just as the door closed, Dustin yelled out, get off in three stops. Boom, the door was shut, and they were gone, and there I stood. I waited for the next train, counting carefully to make sure that I got off at the correct stop. Thank goodness they were all waiting for me when I got off. When you depart the train, you usually have two or three different stops. You depart the train, you get off the train, you walk, 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 two or three more blocks until you get to your final destination. I would say on average we walked about five miles a day. Uh, One day in particular we walked eight miles. Pastor John thought I was going to fall over. I gave him permission to use the picture. I don't know if it's going to be up here or not. But he thought I was going to fall over and die. I said, no, I just sweat very ugly. (laughs) The locals are bone dry. We were soaking wet most of the time due to the 85% humidity level. When you think you're finished walking for the day, you walk some more. We traveled by taxi a lot also. We took three taxis most of the time to get our team to our destination. It was comical that all three taxi driver fees were different each time. Not the most honest system around when you're dealing with foreign currency. It's sometimes hard to do the math fast enough to figure out if they're charging you correctly. We just talked it up to being a blessing to each taxi driver's family. Mopeds are also a huge mode of transportation there. It's not uncommon at all to see three or four people piled on a moped, a baby in the middle, driving 40 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic. Um, When a woman rides a moped, you're supposed to ride it side saddle. You don't flip your leg over and put your arms around the waist of the driver. That is not considered proper etiquette. It is really funny to watch the girls sitting there just immersed in their cell phone while this moped is weaving in and out of traffic going 40 miles an hour, and they're just oblivious to the whole thing. Um, you could come to a stoplight and it would be full of cars and by the time the light was ready to turn green 40 mopeds had weaved their way through all the cars and they were at the front of the line and it was like watching the Indy 500 take off the mopeds were always first Um, the last thing mode of transportation was the tuk-tuks those were kind of a fun way to travel a lot of touristy type It seems Americans, Westerners use those a lot. It was more of a sightseeing journey. Some people from our group took one one night um, after shopping at the mall, and they asked to be taken back to the hotel, but the driver took a long detour, wanting them to patronize some of their family businesses. When the group told them that no one didn't have any money left to spend, that they had spent it at the mall, the tuk-tuk driver got mad and told them to get out and walk back to the hotel. So that was pretty much sums up our modes of transportation while we were there. Um, Beautiful country. I would go back in a heartbeat. Um, I love that country. I love those people. I felt very small when I was there. And to think, what can our part be now? I don't know what God is going to call us to do. It it just seems like in one week, what can you accomplish? What does God, how does God want to use us in the future in Thailand? It's going to be fun to see. Good. Thank you, Rhonda. Now, Jan, uh, this trip was a stretch for you in a lot of different ways, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm supposed to talk about 
food, heat, and language. So we had food, it was hot, and we talked about it a lot. Uh, yes, that's enough. Um, yeah, I was a little apprehensive about the food. Um, it turned out it was nothing to worry about. I mean, there was some strange looking stuff on the street, but every morning we were at Holiday Inn uh, Express, we had like pretty much a westernized breakfast other than uh, shrimp fried rice or chicken fried rice or some other kind of rice. It was rice every morning, but <laughs> anyway, we got through it. You'd walk down the street, there was things that didn't smell like normal western food, but there was lots of stuff that looked familiar too. And so uh, I got back and fortunately I hadn't lost any weight, so it wasn't too bad. I mean, and I didn't want to repeat Rhonda's uh, opening day salvo that she had in the airport, so I was a little cautious about what I ate too. Um, heat. I work in a hot plant. Um, I'm obviously of European descent. I don't really like to go to hot places, so that was one of my things I was worried about. Well, it wasn't that much different than, than being at work. Uh, like Rhonda mentioned, the only thing that was different was when we'd get on the train, uh, all of us would be sweaty, and there you are standing with all these polite Thai people, and they were very gracious and merciful to us, and didn't uh, make any rude comments or anything. And then I got this snappy little hat to keep the sun off my head. That worked out all right. And it turned out, just like the food, that that was not a big deal either. It's nothing to worry about. You're hot, you're sweaty, you drink water, it's all right. You get through the day. The last thing is language. Well, I'm not, I'm not that good with the English language to begin with. <laughs> So I was like, oh, boy. So Pastor John was kind enough, or Liz, one of them, to print up this uh, cheat sheet of phrases. So Sawadee Cup, that's the greeting. A couple others that we use pretty regularly was Kapkun Cup, that's thank you. Uh, excuse me, that was one that I had to use quite often, Kotot Cup. And then one that I particularly liked was my Penrai Cup, which is no big deal or no problem. Um, <laughs> One that I found unnecessary was the longest one, Pomput Pasa Thai Mai Dai Cup. That means I can't speak Thai. Well, that was painfully obvious, you know. <laughs> so you really didn't need to use that one. Um, as soon as we went on the, the boat ride and everybody was saying, well, oh, that's the long boat. Yeah, we don't need our coat because it's so hot. They, they pretty much figured out we, you know, couldn't speak Thai, so... However, what I did learn, and I knew this before, but I was reminded about it by some of the people on the team one morning we had it talking about nonverbal communication. And working with some of the children, I discovered that they're just like children in the U.S. They want to run and shout and jump and play and squirm. Uh, and they like to snuggle up next to you and show you what they're coloring. Um, some of the women that we met in the worship service that were formerly involved in prostitution, uh, wanted to give us hugs and hugs that meant something and were important to them to know that uh, they weren't from somebody looking for something from them, just to express love. And then finally, one night when we were in the uh, red light district, I made an intentional act to look into the eyes of the people that I was meeting. You'd go down the street first uh, in the in the prostitution district first you would get the look of 
inviting, looking for business. They're, uh, they're smiling at you and they want you to come and, and pay them money. And within about a second and a half, as soon as they realized you weren't there for business purposes, uh, their expression would change and you could see the hurt and uh, you know the distress in their eyes and then you could try and express to them concern and love and that was that was meaningful to me and uh, so that that is some of the, one of the things that I've learned to bring back with me too is to work more on that communication uh, level which I lack in somewhat so that's what I learned I, I recommend it to everybody well good uh, hold on to that mic just for for a minute longer um, <laughs> yeah, I, I put Jan on the spot in several different times, and he did really well. But at any rate, a couple from Cedar Grove, Wisconsin, goes to Bangkok, Thailand. It's life-changing, but there are others who may be thinking, you know, am I too old to go? Is this really something that we should be involved in? Uh, what would you say to them? I would highly recommend it because it will expand your view of the world. It will expand your view of God's kingdom and that he is at work. Um, Even on the other side of the world where it can be a dark place uh, that you wouldn't expect to see things. But when when you stand up and you are in a worship service with former girls that were formerly in prostitute and they're singing their praises and about being redeemed uh, it just it's just inspiring and heartbreaking and um, it just changes your perspective on on a lot of things so I I would highly recommend it it makes you want to come home and sell everything you own even if we lived in our car we'd have more than most people in Thailand um yeah, the things of this earth will fade away very fast. And as a person who's had three back surgeries, I think I did okay. You can do it. You guys did great. Good. Candy? Um, I am to share about Sang Sawan. Sang Sawan. And the devotions. Um, Sang Sawan was uh, the chapel that we went to with the past workers. Um, When you go there, first of all, it's kind of grueling because you're sitting in two and a half hours of church service in a... um, You don't understand the language, so you can't understand what he's saying. But when you watch these women worship... And when they're singing and they're praising God with all their heart, um, it's life-changing. It takes your whole breath away. Um, You know, we worship here, but they worship with such an unconditional heart. Um, They have experienced the worst of the worst. And... They're so thankful that God has given them a second chance. All they can do is raise their hands and 
praise him. So even though the service was very long and uh, I can speak for probably most of the team, kind of grueling for us, it was hard for us to be there. Um, When you heard these women, it made everything different. Um, I just can't say enough about how it changed how we looked at them. Um, And, you know, when we got back to the room, you know, you kind of think, why were we there that long? But you think um, we were there to show them how much we supported them, to show them how much we cared for them, to show them how much we loved them. Um, I got a chance to share my testimony with them. So not only did they give to me, in their worship and really made me look differently about how I worship God. But um, by my sharing my testimony with them, um, I was able to give them a little back. Um, When we got time to leave, that last day, um, and these women hug you and tell you how much they're going to miss you. Um, you leave some of you behind with them because you're going to miss them too. Um, so that was um, Song Soong, and that was getting to know them, and um, you just connect. Their pain is the same as your pain. Their hurt is the same as your hurt. It's not any different. It doesn't, you know because of what they've done, it doesn't look any different. Um, God has loved them the same as he loves you. So that was Sung Soong. And then we um, did devotions. We did our devotions on the book of Nehemiah. All of us had studied the book, read the book. We all prayed about it, prayed about what we were going to say, and John gave us you know, an outline of how it should look. You know, this is, you know, what you want to do. And I can say probably 90% of us, if not all of us, did our devotions way ahead of time. Um, But I can say that um, once we got there, probably about as many of us redid our devotions. I know the night before it was time for Steve Steve and I to do our devotions, I was rewriting it because once we were there, it all took on a whole new form. Nehemiah, in case you don't know, is um, he had such a burden for rebuilding this wall that had been destroyed. Um, And I looked at John as being Nehemiah. It was his burden for Thailand. He gave us um, an opportunity to see what had burdened his heart. And we became um, his workers. We prayed about it, and we saw um, the hurt and the destruction. And we wanted to be there. We wanted to be there to build, to do what we could, to leave money behind. Anything they wanted us to do, we were willing as a team to do. It didn't matter that it was... 89 degrees humidity and we were stinky and sweaty and stuff like that and we were exhausted we just kept doing it 
because we knew that this is what we were called to do. And I'd have to uh, um, reiterate with Rhonda, um, if we would go tomorrow, I would go. I would do it again, time and time again. Um, if you have an opportunity to experience what these people are doing over there, I couldn't recommend it more. It is phenomenal. There's a lot of junk there that needs to be fixed, but there's a lot of God there too. And we just need to be sprouting out and letting these people know just how much not only we love them, but how much God loves them. Very good. Thank you three for sharing with us. They do a good job? The psalmist wrote this. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name. How great is our Lord. How great is our God. Do you believe that? If you do, let's stand together and sing that. One of the reasons uh, that we went to Thailand was to uh, identify where God is at work and look to see where, as a church, we can partner. I believe missions is all about relationship. And it's one thing to give to missions that's just kind of out there. It's a whole other thing when you put a face with missions. And so, uh, obviously, with my history with Thailand, our history with Thailand, uh, we wanted to uh, explore to see if this is a place where God would have us land as a church. And so the idea was to expose this team to a number of ministries that uh, we're familiar with and uh, to hear from God. Is this really, God, where you would have us uh, drive a stake? to say this part of the world has needs. Uh, this is uh, a place where Southside could make a difference. And so uh, we began looking at uh, various ministries, and uh, Vanessa, you uh, were the youngest person on the trip, and uh, there were some challenges and some good stuff. And uh, uh, Vanessa's going to share with us a bit uh, about... Uh, Nightlight and a personal story of what God did in her own life, one-on-one. Yeah, um, so just a little background on Nightlight. So Thailand is a destination source and transportation country for human trafficking. Um, countless women and children are sold into prostitution, which is a growing network. Um, Thai women often come to Bangkok from rural villages in search of work to support their families. So um, they are at high risk to enter prostitution um, due to a lack of education and job skills. Um, Nightlight steps into this picture by addressing the lack of opportunity for women trapped in the sex trade industry. Um, They provide other means of supporting their families financially, These opportunities include a design company, so any of you that probably received jewelry from members um, is made by these women that came out of the industry. Um, This also includes the City Light Coffee House. Um, They serve food and coffee and 
and learn a lot of different skills there. Um, Nightlight also focuses on an intervention program for women, children, their families, and their communities that are affected by the industry. Uh, Nightlight has an outreach team that has a consistent presence in Nana, which is the red light district that we went into. Through the outreach team, Nightlight is able to build relationships with the women and children working in these areas, um, along with the bar owners. So that's an interesting relationship that we were able to see. Um, Annie, one of the head leaders of Nightlight, just kind of walk into a bar and almost have ownership in a way of it um, due to her being there so often. They began a chapel service that also provides a welcoming environment to women that have come out of or are looking to leave uh, the sex trade industry. These services seek to have spiritual development of these women and their families that are involved. Overall, Nightlight introduces women and children to the love of Jesus. Gradually, these women learn and experience the incredible healing power of Jesus, along with the mercy that he has on those who believe in him. During these services, these women were crying out to God, just pouring their hearts out to him, um, which Candy had said, and it was just an incredible thing to experience. These women, you know, you don't know how long they've been out of it, but their lives are turned upside down. And here in the midst of all their pain, suffering, and, and regret, they are there to completely worship God and all that he is. Like, there's no distraction they're not thinking about the Packer game after church or, or anything else going on there. They're purely to worship him. And that was something that we, at least myself, I can take back is it doesn't matter how long I'm here. Um, God is the ruler of my life and of this world. And there shouldn't be any distraction um, when I'm worshiping him. So one of the stories that I had was I shared my testimony on the trip. And part of my testimony, if you don't know, is I had a fail, failed engagement a couple of years ago when I was in college. Um, met a man that I thought was going to be my husband. And after coming back to Southside and learning more about who God is um, and what it means to be married, that God was telling me this is not the man that I'm supposed to be with. And I kept running from hearing his voice and, and knowing what it would do to me. But eventually I gave in. And it was the most painful thing probably that I've gone through. And, um, but I look back and, and I see all the good that came from it. So I shared that testimony and I had a girl come up to me crying, just bawling her eyes out. And her name was Miku. And she said that God was telling her to leave this man that she had been with for quite some time. And she had just left him the day before I met her. So it was definitely God's timing and Brenda pointed out to me, you know, imagine if we would have gone on this trip when it was initially scheduled. Uh, Miku wouldn't have gone through all of what she was going through, and my testimony wouldn't have had the impact that it did on her if it wouldn't have been delayed. Um, so I was able to connect with her, and I saw her the next day at chapel again, and it happened to be her birthday. Um, and she sat next to me, and um, in the midst of all of her pain and all this just craziness that's going on in her life. She's crying out to God, and she gets down on her knees, and she's thanking him for her pain and knowing that God will prevail in all of this. And it happened to be our last day at chapel, and she hugs me and um, praying for each other, and 
she takes this ring off her finger and she puts it on mine and she said, I've had this for 15 years and I want you to have it because this is the impact and how deeply you've touched my heart. Um, so for me to come back to the States and look down at my hand and see something um, from her and know that all of my pain and all that made it completely worth it. Hmm. You know, something that I thought I was never going to get through um, was completely worth it just if that was the only person it helped. So, yeah. Great. Thanks, Melissa. Look at the sex trade. Um, the, the women and children of this terrible trade, there are, are ministries out there to help them. But the other side of the equation, the men who are, are the ones really that are, are keeping it going, uh, there's a, a ministry out there, uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Lenti. Uh, as far as we know, he's one of the only ones in the world uh, who's working on this, and it's his ministry is RMPP, which stands for Real Men Pursuing Purity. Um, and this focuses on being pure in all aspects of our life. Um, this, this ministry will, will impact their families, relationships, and their communities. Uh, this this community is this ministry is a community of men that is committed to growing in integrity, purity, and spiritual wholeness. Often our words are sarcasm in, instead of blessing, um, because and, and we feel un, unforgiveness because words that are said to us or words that are said behind our back, uh, we feel bitterness because so-and-so got blessed and not me. Um, our homes may be in disarray because we're not leading them the way God wants us to. And are we all sexually pure as well? We should extend grace to others, have a heart of gratefulness, have a higher level of spiritual wholeness, and love our wives the way God wants us to. We should seek to be the kind of men who the church is inspired by and the world is envious of. We need to have a closer relationship with God so he can enable us to do this. Psalm 55:22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. This experience in Thailand has made me look at my life where can I be more pure in my life so I can be a better disciple for Christ? Thank you. So, Liz, this wasn't your first trip to Thailand. Uh, no, I went in 2007 with a church um, that I was serving at in Idaho. And this trip was so much different. So much different, yeah. <laughs> different experience. We were in the city for this one, and uh, we were in remote areas for the other one. Toast. Um, isn't this team great? I got to serve with this team in Bangkok, Thailand for, um, how, I don't know how many days we're there, but they're wonderful people, and it kind of just feels like we've been reunited today. So uh, grateful for these people, and um, I encourage you to ask them more questions and 
ask them uh, more about their experience. But if there's one thing that I learned um, being in Thailand was that we really have only scratched the surface and have no idea of the scope and the issue of human trafficking. Um, I think we all have in our idea of what human trafficking is, um, but we, we, our minds were completely blown. Um, the different issues that, are, that go into human trafficking, whether they're, they're there by force or by choice, or so many different reasons of why women might be in prostitution in Bangkok. Um, and, and so our minds were just blown by that, but uh, when you're sitting, um, listening to Annie Dieselberg and Jeff Dieselberg, who uh, run Nightlight, you'd never know it. Um, by their passion and their desire to reach the people in Bangkok. You'd never know this overwhelming scope of what goes into human trafficking. Um, and Vanessa shared a little bit with you about the different ministries that they do and uh, just so impressed by um, this vision that God has for them to continue to press in, to continue to be a light in the darkness um, in the midst of uh, so much that's going on in Bangkok. And the one thing that Annie always talked about, she never talked about the darkness. She always talked about the light. And she said that the light is the thing that you focus on. We focus so much on the darkness and we talk so much about the darkness, yet being just a small part um, of the light. And she said, every single time you experience darkness, that's a small miracle because that is something that God has put in front of you and he wants to use you. And so every time you experience darkness, know that God has put that there for a reason, and it's a small miracle in your life. So um, keep your eyes open for what God wants to do um, anywhere you are. Um, but just briefly, I just want to share with you, the ministry at Nightlight starts on the streets. Um, and you'll see Nana Plaza there, which is where we were. Um, and if you, you can't read that, but it's the largest adult playground, um, is what it says underneath that. Um, and you literally walk down the streets, and there's some bars, and there's Westerners sitting in the bars, but then you turn the corner, and it's a whole different world. Um, women all over the place yelling at you, wanting you to be their customers, and um, it's loud, it's um, weird, um, it's just a complete different experience than you've ever experienced before, but... Um, Vanessa mentioned that we went into the bars uh, with Annie, and then um, some of the team went with another woman from Nightlight. And um, it was exactly what she said it was going to be, even though I didn't believe her. But she has a relationship with the, the pimps and the mamasans in this area. Um, and what she will tell you is they have great hearts and they're great people. Um, but we walk into this bar and we're sitting, um, looking at a stage of women dancing in front of you. And Nan, uh, Annie sits um, in the corner, and the mama-san comes directly over to her, and they instantly engage in conversation as if they're best friends, and she just saw her last week. Um, she has a relationship with them, and that is from building into these people constantly, no matter the cost, and she is there all the time. And So anyway, she's having this conversation with this mama-san, and later she would tell us that um, she wants to come to church, and she's told her over and over again that she's coming to church, but she's going to be there this Sunday. Um, and we pray that she is. But um, then eventually she will, um, when women come off the stage, she will pull them over and she allows them to sit with us. Um, we buy them drinks as if we, they are our customers for the time. Um, and our job there is just to love on them. The first question I did not ask them was, do you know where you're going when you go to hell? 
That is not the point of ministry in the Nana district. The point is to build relationships. Number 144 sat next to me, and I will continue to pray that more and more people will be able to sit next to 144 and pour into her relationally, asking her where she's from, asking her who her kids are, asking her why her shoes are so high and if that hurts her knees. Those are the questions we're asking, and when she puts her arm around you and wants to cuddle with you, you cuddle with her because you are a light in the darkness, and that is a small miracle. It is not to go directly in and hope that she comes to the Lord right away, but Annie has number 144 written down, and she has every number that we encountered that night written down in her phone, and she prays for them, and when she encounters them again, she will continue to build that relationship. And I hope someday that when I go back, that number 144 is sitting in the chapel at nightlight, and I get to worship our God with her in English while she sings uh, in perfect abandon uh, in Thai. So God is so good, and I can't wait for us to have more, um, to partner more with Thailand and for you to begin to understand a little bit more about what human trafficking is and more what nightlight is doing and the scope of what they're doing. You never know it. They don't have a building like us. They have this tiny little building that God is doing so much in and through. Um, and we only just scratch the surface of what God is doing. So I can't wait for you to be a part of it as well. Great. Lives changed. Um, I was uh, incredibly proud of this team. On uh, Tuesday night, we took them down to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, literally. And... Uh, I always get concerned about the response of some American Christians. And uh, this team was filled with uh, love and grace. Uh, The men did not go, by the way, just so we make that point clear, uh, in to see any of the women. Uh, Chris took us up uh, back, the back steps where they're kind of staging. There are 400,000 women involved in the sex trade in Thailand. 70% of all Caucasian men flying into Bangkok are on a sex tour. So uh, you start adding these incredible kinds of numbers up, and it's unbelievable. But to watch these guys, uh, it, it's beyond sexual and tempting. It's revolting, almost creating nausea. These women are grabbing, pawing at you. Very beautiful women, understand that, uh, and yet so, so desperate. And the response of this team from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, uh, really, really startled me and encouraged me. Uh, So well done uh, to you guys. And uh, again, we're looking at where we can make a difference. So is God great? Yeah, he is. Let's stand and sing again, shall we? All right, this is our last three for this morning. Uh, We're just touching on some of the things that we participated in, but it wasn't all serious work, although it was very grueling, very exhausting, uh, just traveling and being exposed to some of these ministries. Kayla, we had some fun, didn't we? Yes, we had a lot of fun. Tell us about it. Sure. Um, So, like Pastor John said, although we came with a mission, um, we did have time to have fun. We were having fun throughout the entire trip. Um, What I'm speaking on is what I call scheduled fun versus (laughs) unscheduled fun. Um, So, we had the opportunity to go to um, a Thai cultural show. I know they're going through the pictures, but um, we also had the opportunity to see an elephant show as well as a crocodile show. 
So um, the Thai elephant is very important in their culture, and the elephant show um, was very neat. It, they showed their ability, their agility, um, just beautiful animals, and the elephant show um, kind of gave you a story of the history of elephants um, as far as being wild and then using them uh, in wars and battles. And then the sound is really bad at the elephant show, and then all of a sudden they were playing soccer. So I missed that part of how the elephants went from being work elephants to playing soccer. Um, but <laughs> it, was, it was really neat. Uh, we took a long-tail boat ride um, through the canals, and we saw a different part of the city, which was really neat. Um, you were able to see um, people living in poverty as well as um, the very wealthy all living on the same canal. Um, we saw some of, well, we saw one boat who was actually the sister of the man who um, was giving us the long tail boat ride. So when I saw him on the cell phone um, while he was taking us on the boat ride, I assumed he was calling his sister because then all of a sudden she showed up with her boat of things we could buy, which was really fun. <laughs> um, but it was just really neat to see the canals. We went through a lock. Um, we saw some of the wildlife. We saw some monitors on the river as well, which was really neat. Um, and then the cultural show, like I said, um, just giving you or us a very neat idea of Thai culture. There were dances, songs, music. Um, there was a demonstration of the traditional wedding ceremony. Um, Tom got up and danced. So Tom, was, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally, um, we did get to go to um, the reclining Buddha temple. Um, so it just kind of a. a kind of iconic of what you think of Thailand often is the Grand Palace and the Buddha. Um, beautiful, ornate, um, but it also, um, you know, we all had kind of mixed feelings when we were there because it is idolatry, and you see, um, you know, this very Buddhist nation, um, you know, worshiping reclining Buddha, um, putting pennies in jars, um, the clinking of pennies, there's a long um, slew of jars um, at the reclining Buddha, um, which is building good merit, which is very important in Buddhist in Buddhism. So um, that was kind of our fun in a nutshell. Like I said, there's a lot of unscheduled fun, so I encourage you to talk to the different members of the team just because there was always something um, funny or fun going on. So. Okay, let's stay with you for a minute. Okay. Uh, would you go back? I would. What impact did it have on you? Um, for me, it was, um, it, was really, it was really impactful to be part of God's kingdom, um, I was born in Taiwan, and I had, I'm adopted, so I hadn't been to, to Asia. And so um, for me, it was, you know, God saying, you know, you are my child. You are a part of, of this world, and you can connect with um, people of any language, any culture. Um, I like, you know, when Jan was talking about working with the children, laughter is the same sound in any language. Um, so for me, I'm still kind of... Um, wrestling and trying to hear what God is telling me specifically, but it just broadened my horizon and um, being able to be a part of um, like God's global kingdom is, is the biggest impact it had on me. Great. Tom. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm here to share about the people of Thailand and um, BBS. Um, before I start with that, um, when Thailand trip was first announced, I didn't imagine myself going with these amazing people. Um, God was calling, and I didn't listen at first. Then my wife encouraged me, you know, Tom, you were born in Thailand. Maybe you could be a resource. And we talk, we pray, and uh, I'm there. And I'm glad I went. Mm -hmm. uh, people of Thailand are very polite. They are respectful. 
I did not hear one person use profanity while we were there. Um, they are amazing people, and they welcome you with open arms. I felt like going back home. Yeah. Um, I share a common language with them. Um, I share a common culture with them. And I felt fit in after a couple of days. I mean, at first I was nervous about a language I haven't used for over 25 years. Um, I was about nine years old when I came to the United States. Uh, but after a while, they're just people. They're my family. And uh, they need Jesus. We need Jesus. Yes. I need Jesus. Yes. And we could do more to help them. VBS. Liz is a blessing to Southside. <laughs> She's a blessing in Thailand as well. Mm-hmm. She planned activities, prepared them. Um, the smile on those kids' face, faces is amazing. The joy in their face. They are just like our kids here. They love it when adults are giving them attention, talking to them, working with them, doing acti- activities with them. Um, one day, well, we went to the slums, and uh, they don't have a lot there. We worship on the floor, and some people were sitting on the... Having a sofa and a chair is considered luxury. Um, it reminded me back of my childhood day. We, we didn't have much as a kid. And at least in the village, if we need food, we could go hunt. That's what my father would say. But in the city, you cannot go hunt. You, you need money to survive, and... It's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see the families in the slums. But those kids, they are so happy. They're so happy that we're there with them, that we're giving them attention, teaching them about Jesus. And there's so much we could do. And thank you, Liz, for all that you do here and in Thailand. We appreciate you. Yes. Yeah. Good. Uh, let me just say this about Tom. Uh, this guy just blossomed right in front of our eyes. And often I'd catch out of the corner of my eye, here's Tom just going up to someone, talking with them. You never think that of Tom. <laughs> and yet, in a very real sense, he, he was going home. And you could see the dots being connected in his life, in the healing and the restoration, and now the future. Uh, it was a remarkable transformation. And Tom, I'm so glad you went. Uh, we were, it was a joy to have you on this trip. And your language skills come in real handy. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. Okay, I'm going to just have to stand because this stool is really rickety and I really do not want it to break while I'm standing here. <laughs> um, when Pastor John had kind of signaled uh, Tom to give me the microphone, he called me Jessica. But in Thailand, it's Jessica. And we have <laughs> Kayla and Tom. <laughs> uh, when the opportunity came up for this trip, there was never a doubt in my mind that Michael and I were going. But every time details of the trip came up, I had to kind of just stop my mind from thinking about it because I didn't feel able or qualified to do any of the things that we were going to be doing. BBS, I have my own kids, but other people's kids in a different language, that's 
scary. Um, Ivan and the slum ministry, which is what I'll be talking about in a moment, that seemed terrifying. Um, going into the red light district, no thanks. But somehow, um, when you're there, the Holy Spirit just takes over and gives you grace to do things that you didn't think you could do. And that's what I've asked him to do this morning because even though I asked to talk about Ivan, I wanted to talk about Ivan, anytime I try to just put the words on the paper and express how he affected me, it just wasn't coming. So Jesus, take the wheel and let's see what he wants to say. Um, On our itinerary for Monday evening, it said Ivan and the Slum Ministry. And... I just thought, boy, I've never seen a slum. I don't think I want to see a slum. I don't want to be faced with the reality that people live this way. Um, And then what ministering in the slum, what does that mean? Pastor John deliberately, I think, did not tell us what we were going to be doing there. And so that was all mildly terrifying. But fortunately, um, I didn't have time to think about it too much before we went out there. And before I knew it, we're in uh, an hour-long crazy taxi ride to meet Ivan. And that is a whole other story in itself, so ask somebody about our experience getting out there. Um, We met up with Ivan, and he explained what he and his wife have been doing for about the last 10 years um, in this slum. He would not call it a slum. He is the most grace-filled, humble person I think that I've ever met. Um, That's him in the blue shirt there. And uh, he and his wife, Kashmira, have five children, age, I believe, six and a half and under, So one of the few people I have met that have Michael and I beat with our four children and three and under. Um, And they live in a building that they also minister in, and it's humble circumstances. Um, They have two bedrooms for seven people, and one of the bedrooms had, it looked like maybe a double bed for um, the parents, two beds for the kids. Every bed touched each other, and there was not room in that bedroom for one more thing. I don't know where their clothes were. I don't know where anything was, but um, that's how they live. If they need to go somewhere, um, they're too big, their family, to fit in a taxi, so they take a bus. And believe me, these are not buses that you would like to find yourself in. They're not air-conditioned. They're jam-packed full, um, or they walk. And their children um, were all born in Thailand. They consider themselves to be Thai because that's the life that they've known. But they're getting to the age where other Thai children, they're white. They're not Thai. And Thai kids are like, well, what are you? Well, I'm Thai. No, you're not Thai. Mm -hmm. And so they're living with this just kind of interesting reality. And so while we were there, Michael just offhandedly said to Ivan, you know, thanks for your sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And he said, we don't consider it to be a sacrifice. God has blessed us in so many ways. Um, that it's, it's a privilege to be here. And I was just struck by, here's this family, really difficult circumstances. I mean, I practically ended up in a mental institution in the United States with bang, bang, you know, my kids like that. And they've got one more. They probably have support, but, you know, their moms aren't there to take care of them, and they're just very happily doing God's work, um, counting it a privilege and a joy. When we first met up with Ivan, um, taxis had dropped us off a few blocks from his home, and it had started to rain quite hard. So we found some shelter, and um, we're hoping to wait the rain out before we could go back to their house. And Ivan, you can see him right here. This is 
exactly what I'm talking about. He was just giving us some kind of background about what we would be doing, some do's and don'ts, whatever kind of thing. And um, a lot of the people that live in their neighborhood are homeless. There are a lot of prostitutes, both men and women, um, emotionally unstable people, all in unstable um, economic uh, situations. And one thing that he said was, we don't call them prostitutes because they're not what they do. That's just a choice that they've made. It's something that they do, but that's not who they are. And at first, when he said that, okay, check, don't call anybody a prostitute. What else do I need to know? And a few minutes later, um, God just really spoke to my heart. And it was in Thailand, so it was Jessica. (laughs) You are not what you do. And I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean that in the positive sense that I'm not defined by the good things that I do. And I fall into that trap a lot where I feel like I have to prove my value by the things that I do. And so it just, I don't know how to convey to you how deeply that touched me. And I just, tears were rolling down my face and I didn't hear the rest of his do's and don'ts. And so who knows what faux pas I probably made while we were there. But um, (laughs) when we went on this trip, you know, Pastor John has talked about sacrifices that we've made to go and, and that kind of thing, but it wasn't a sacrifice. It was such a blessing and such a privilege to be there. And for God to meet me in a place where I'm broken, when I thought I was going to do something for him, I just, God has so much grace and so much love for him. And that's just like him. You cannot outgive God. You can't, anytime you think you're doing something for God, He's just pouring it right back into you. So I don't know what you think of when you hear the word prostitute or slum or any of those things, but we met current prostitutes, former prostitutes, people who lived in slums, and they're all just people, broken people, just the same as we are. And to spend time with them and just understand that people created in the image of a loving God and he loves them just the way that he loves us was such a privilege. So I'm so grateful to have this opportunity. I'm grateful to Pastor John and Liz for setting it up. I'm so grateful to all of you who financially supported us or prayed for us while we were gone um, because it was just such a privilege to be there. And from what everybody said this morning, I think the next time we go, I encourage you all to go, but you're going to have to fight all of us off because we all want to go back. Great. Thank you for sharing. Wonderful. Great, and we'll hear a bit more next week about the trip. Looking forward to that. Now, I've always considered myself to be missions-minded. I pray for missionaries regularly. I preach about missions. I give to the Great Commission Fund, which supports over 100 alliance workers around the world. I've taken my family to foreign soils. We have lived overseas for a number of years. I have pastored Christian Missionary Alliance churches for more than 30 years, and our middle name is Missionary. And so that's kind of been part of the DNA of my Christian experience. But since seeking and finding the lost is what Jesus has called us to do, I find it rather painful in my heart to realize that the church has either forgotten or ignored the mandate of why we are a church. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
At certain points in history, evangelism and mission have been the focus of the church. But as we look at church history, other times the church has paid little, if any, attention to this mandate, to this command, to this passion of Jesus in reaching out to those who don't know him. Now in the second decade of the 21st century, it seems to me that the concern of most American Christians for reaching the lost is waning and headed toward an all-time low. Contributions to missions across the globe, across any denomination, are dropping, both in terms of real dollars and the percentage of total church income. We're becoming more and more self-absorbed, and it concerns me. Some churches give little or nothing to world missions or even local evangelism. Even where the vision for evangelism and missions is strong, is vibrant, personal involvement is often limited to giving our expendable time and monies to the cause, that which we have left over after we've comforted ourselves in our materialistic ways. The spirit of sacrifice that so marked the early days of the CNMA is for the most part a thing of the past. And that troubles me. I think of early Alliance missionaries leaving this country in the late 1800s for Africa. Do you know what they packed themselves in and their families? Caskets. Because they knew for the most part they weren't coming back. That earmarked our mission. Sacrifice. Doing whatever it takes so that others might know. And we seem to have bought into the directive found in shopping malls and public places. No proselytizing. No proselytizing. And so we back up and we back off. And perhaps it's time for us to be reminded again of what it means to say that men, women, and children outside of Jesus are lost and hell-bound. We must go and tell so the lost get found. And what is our part? This was an important piece of that. Seeing the reality of our world. But I reminded our team, you know, I can take you into a bar in Thailand and it's an amazing experience to see what happens. How many bars are in Sheboygan? And who's entered one of them in our self-righteousness? So what is our part? What do we do? What can we do? Well, this team is now processing. And it's a difficult task. Some of you have said to me, I don't know why I'm here. This seems so meaningless now, coming back. And life here is just, ugh, why? Why? And that's good. That's a mountaintop experience. We all have them as Christians. You've had them. I've had them. They're all wonderful. But we have to put feet to that now and see what is it, God, you would have us do? What can we do? There are things that all of us can do individually and collectively we can do as a church. Uh, We must pray. We must pray for those who go. Some can give so that others can go. God has put us in that position. And God is raising us all up to cross over boundaries. Boundaries of differences and prejudices and languages and fears for the sake of the lost. Together we're linked together in a wonderful worldwide family in the Christian Missionary Alliance. 
God is moving. More than 2.5 million followers of Jesus will worship together in Alliance churches around the world. In a recent year, 110,000 conversions. Now, we're not talking about raise your hand and pray the prayer. We're talking about conversions to Jesus. And we want to join God in that great movement to reach our world, whether it's the Lebanese or the Bambara, the Bisa, or the man from Mali, the woman from Burkina, or the Kurd, or the Kutu. Maybe it's my neighbor, my classmate, my coworker, my husband, my wife, my children. Lost people matter to the Father. Lost people must matter to us here at Southside. Lost people must matter to me. And that's what missions is all about. I'm going to invite the team. If you'd come back up, we're going to close in prayer in just a moment. Ushers, if you'll come as well. That's the job Jesus gave to us to finish, the Great Commission. That's why these 12 people made the sacrifices they made to go to Thailand to see what God is doing uh, around the world and in that little slice of the world in Bangkok, Thailand. We give so that others might go. Now, the faith promise card that you were given when you came in looks like this. Provide support for Alliance missionaries and their families, uh, for church planting and the training of national workers and all kinds of other stuff. And this is the funding vehicle used by the Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you're not familiar with it, let me take just a moment. The Faith Promise is a financial commitment of giving to what we call the Great Commission Fund for provision for workers. An Alliance worker on the field does not raise their own support. Rather, they are fully supported by the churches here in America. So as all the Alliance churches, more than 2,000 of them uh, in America, give, these folk are fully supported. And they don't spend a lot of time writing fund request letters and making contacts to make sure their funding is up to date. Uh, Rather, they are paid in full, their insurance is paid, their kids' education is paid through the Great Commission Fund. So how how does this work? Well, it's a financial commitment between you and God. No one's ever going to ask you, uh, did you give what you say you give? Now, this is between uh, you and God alone. The faith part comes from relying on God to provide what he will provide through us, the promise that we make to him that we're believing God for. God, how much can I give so that others might hear? Now, the faith promise originated with our founder, A.B. Simpson, and it's it's basically three parts. What can I afford to give? What can I afford to give so that others might hear? Secondly, what can I sacrifice for my ordinary expenses over and above, let me say it again, over and above our regular giving? What can I sacrifice so that others might hear around the world? And lastly, uh, after praying, God, I'm going to trust you to provide this amount through my family over the next 12 months. That then forms the budget for the Christian Missionary Alliance for sending workers around the world. And so um, I ask you to prayerfully consider this. If uh, some of you have been around Southside a while, and if you'd like to go ahead and fill that out, you know what you're going to give. This has a detachable part, and you just kind of rip that thing off like that and put it in. 
Again, no one's going to ask you for the money. This is between you and the Lord. Uh, But we must be challenged to give. Otherwise, the extra income or any sacrificial income will quickly go to our own needs. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Unless we're intentional about seeing the need around the world. These eyes have been opened in a very real way. And you'll never be the same because you went. Thank you for going. Thank you for going. But this is only the beginning. We're going to figure out, God, what's next? What's next for our church? Uh, When's the next trip? Uh, How can we begin to dig deeper relationally into what God is doing in that part of the world? So uh, please take this home if you would. I'm just asking you to pray, that's all. What is it God would have each of us do with the Great Commission Fund and supporting workers uh, around the world? All right? And so, ushers, you can go ahead and we'll receive this morning's offering. Thank you for uh, giving to the Lord. We appreciate your generosity and your support. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about missions and hear a few more stories. Uh, But these folk are going to be available after the service. They've all got stories to share, and I I know they're going to be delighted. Now, I warn them, I warn them that when you tell people about a trip after you've been overseas you got about one minute or less of interest before their mind will flash to what's for lunch, what time's the Packer game start, uh, what am I doing at work tomorrow, all these kinds of things. I get that, I understand that, and that's okay. Uh, But take a moment and ask them a question about uh, what God did in their hearts. Not just the fact that they went and it was hot and it's a different culture, but what did God do in each of your hearts? Uh, Ask them. And then I'd like you to start praying. Hey, uh, who wants to go next round? Yeah, I see those hands. Good, good. Yeah, be praying about that. We'll see what God has uh, because it is a life-changing experience. Good. All right. I think we're good. Let's stand together, shall we? I'm going to ask... Jessica, can you grab that microphone, please? Thank you. Great. I'm going to ask uh, two of you guys to pray. Okay. One of you, I'd like you to just thank the Lord for this congregation. They have given generously and financially. This thing was incredible. We're going to be able to leave thousands of dollars investing in people's lives because of your generosity. And thank them for praying, for supporting us. And uh, they did, and I really appreciate that. And then if someone uh, would pray for what's next, what's to come? God, what are the next steps for our church together? So who would like to pray and thank the congregation?